Hey everybody, The Nightfly with Dave Jusko coming at you today and our brand new podcast, a brand new attitude, and uh, not really, it's the same attitude, but uh, it's a brand new podcast with me, your host, Dave Jusko. They call me The Nightfly. Actually, nobody calls me that, but that's what we call the podcast, so there it is for you. And here we are on a lovely April afternoon, filming after a uh, lovely podcast last week with Jono Abrams, and that's why I opened with the Jerry theme, which makes me laugh every single time I hear it, every single time. That is just the funniest, it's like, if you're a comedy writer... Um, and you came up with an idea how to make. I mean, this is what makes Larry David so genius. And I don't, I don't, I don't know, you know, who was in charge of that. And maybe one day I'll get to ask. But to find the absolute perfect theme when you're making a phony sitcom that's supposed to be bad. I mean, they just hit pay dirt on that theme, and that's why it's just extra funny to um, play on a daily basis. <laughs> And you can, like, picture. I mean, you guys know Seinfeld backwards and forwards like I do. I mean, you can picture them all, like, you know, doing it, and they're, and they're going through the crowd, and then remember Kramer chokes on some, the guy playing Kramer, who's just as hilarious as Kramer in many ways. And that guy, by the way, um, whoever that actor is, who we've seen in, like, multiple things, I mean, he's like, he's, like, one of those guys, the guy that plays, you know, the guy playing Kramer, playing Kramer in the TV show, Jerry, is one of those guys that, you know, David Katz has got to have at some point uh, in those Carney Awards, obviously, because, I mean, that guy's been in so much stuff. You know, you don't know his name. I I want to say it's Larry Hankin or something like that. I, I, I can't remember. The only reason I'm thinking about it now is because I've been watching the Bill Hader show on HBO, which has been very good. I wasn't sure if I'd like it. I think it's always stupid when comedians play assassins. Um, it just seems dopey, but... This is good, and Bill Hader makes sense, and he's just really talented and good. He directs every episode, which is pretty cool. And uh, Larry Hankin, I think that's his name. I didn't look it up. I'm just I'm guessing. And he was in it last week, and unrecognizable, playing this old Italian man, uh, which I guess would make sense. I mean, he must have been old then, but I, I don't know. He must have used makeup or something, but it is 20 years plus after that Seinfeld thing, but he's still working. He's just a character actor, and that's the funny thing. You know, You think something... After being in two iconic Seinfeld episodes, you know, how does an actor, you know, work again? Don't you think, like, we're going to know who you are, we're going to know who you are? It's kind of like Seinfeld also had uh, an episode with Mr. Carlin from the Bob Newhart show. Uh, you might remember that guy, you know, Mr. Carlin. He was uh, one of the patients of the Bob Newhart show, and he was like a regular, a semi-regular. He was in every five or six episodes. And, you know, how is that guy going to work again? Because we only think of him as Mr. Carlin, but he's a working actor, just like this guy. I mean, that's that's exactly what those Carney Awards were for. They're about these working actors that, yeah, you know their faces, but they have to, they got to get work. They got to work. That's their job. They're character actors. They're only in it uh, for money, and that's their job. And they don't, I don't, well, who knows how actors feel, but technically they're not in it to be the leads. I suppose that's what they'd like, but I think they're most of them are settled in being like, well, this is my job. I make a lot of money at it, and I meet some nice people. You'd have to hope that would be the case. I'm thinking about it myself where I'm sure at this point I would absolutely welcome a supporting role and not be worried unless, you know, the lead talent was such an asshole. Then you probably just get mad. Why don't they just give me the part? I know how to do it. 
Yeah, who am I kidding? I'm always going to be that way. But welcome to the podcast, everybody. And uh, I got to say, so that John O'Abers, very interesting guy. Uh, last Nets game was uh, Monday night, I think. And um, he was there, of course. And because my friend Lee was taking footage of him, he was there. It's like, oh, it's just so funny that that guy needs to do something every night. It's fascinating. So then we went out. Uh, just to the diner afterwards, which he paid for, which was amazing because no one ever does that, you know, for me, which I don't mind because I always oh, I always take my guests out for dinner after. But um, it was, but this diner that I go to sometimes, I had to stop going there because the prices are ridiculous. And I realize now because me and Jessica Pilot have been meeting on um, like Monday mornings, we have to go to a different diner because not because it's too pricey. It's, it's just easier. And, no, because it is pricey. So I noticed... And I hadn't noticed, I think this diner, either they raised the price or whatever. Anyway, I was there on Saturday with my friend Michelle, ordered a Western omelet with cheese. And with cheese, it wasn't like an addition. There was it, a Western omelet with cheese, $17, over $17, like $17.95 for a Western omelet with cheese. But it doesn't, who cares? It was a Western omelet, 17 bucks. Now, they must make it differently because it came out like fluffy, which I do not like, like a really big omelet. So I guess they have to... You know, it looks like it was like six eggs. They have to justify that stupid thing. But nobody wants an omelet that big. I don't. I just like the the, the smaller ones and just make it, you know, because you just want the stuff in between. Nobody wants that many eggs. You know, unless you're Rocky, right? No, I know I'm not doing Rocky. I'm, I'm mixing it all up, right? Because let me try again. Unless you know you're Rocky, right? Was, I can't believe I went into John Travolta when I said Rocky. I don't know what happened. Oh, you know, sometimes I drink, I eat like five eggs. I wake up. About 4.30, I turn on the radio. And then I go to the refrigerator, and I just crack, like, five eggs uh, with my one hand. I crack them. I'm really good at It's like a talent. You know, you got to have... Um, I probably could use two hands, but I got to keep the refrigerator door open so um, it looks awesome. Uh, you know. And then I crack five eggs, and I just, I just drink them. I just drink them down. And the thing is, though, if you notice the egg, when I'm drinking it, it kind of, like, it, I miss, you know, and it falls under my shirt, which I sleep in. Uh, so that shirt uh, that I kind of sleep in and then drink eggs in is kind of gross because it's got eggs all over it. And I hope, you know, I just got to hope I make some more money so I can buy, like, a new shirt, you know. Even though guys will give me $500 uh, for training, I, I probably should have bought those shirts. Uh, or take it off that shirt so I could shower and not have egg on my shirt because I don't know what I do my look. I don't know what I'm doing right now. I'm getting. I'm telling you the story of Rocky, but just a five second segment of uh, Rocky. But no, what I'm saying is, uh, well, I, I have the eggs. Uh. <laughs> anyway, who wants a fluffy omelet? I don't. So then I ordered the Western omelet with cheese. No, I didn't. But I saw it there at the other diner. It was like twelve dollars, which is still. Way too expensive for a Western omelet. A Western omelet should be $7. This town stinks. So this place got one for $10.50. But that's still like a, a $7 or $8 difference. So I don't know. I just like that other diner. It's, it's, it's bright. It's open. You know, you can sit at a booth. It's old-fashioned. That's why Jersey diners are the best because they don't charge these outrageous prices. Or maybe they do and I don't even notice anymore. I, I don't know. It just everybody loves diners. You can choose whatever you want. So Jessica Pilot, you know, is hilarious and so funny. 
in the sense of just uh, you know the way she goes through life, and she's you know becoming pretty popular as the booker for Stephen Colbert. That's a very big deal, a very big deal, and uh, you know she so she's been asked to judge certain things or speak, and certainly empowered women. I mean, you really got to hand it to her. Uh, this is a go-getter. We've had her on the podcast before. She says she's a friend of the show, and she's only thirty. And she's booking this, you know, very popular CBS show. And then so it makes sense in this day and age for her to be speaking at engagements. And she's obviously very bright, but she's also, you know, flaky, which is why we like her. But here's the best story. We know her mom listens to the show. And how do we know? How do we know that her mom is an actual fan of the show? And uh, hello, Mrs. Pilot. Uh, because she texted me and said, well, I want to do what she's yelling like why the hell isn't he playing that big john little john anymore why, why did he stop that the show is horrible now that he's not playing big john little john big john has a problem as you can plainly see one minute he's 40 the next he's 33 big john keeps a changing before your very eyes he's 25 then 12 years old in size Big John, little John What a way to grow Big John, little John from high to low Big John found the fountain of youth He drank a little drink And that magic water Is the thing that made him shrink Now even when he's little John He never knows just when and he's Big John again. Using a little bit of the auto-tutor there. Well, thank you for reminding me. And let me tell you something. You know, Jessica's mom is so awesome because, you know what? I'm an idiot. I am planning a big trip to Los Angeles. Or It's not a very big trip. It's a very short trip. But I'm doing a couple of podcasts out there again. And I, 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 I totally forgot to ask Robbie Riss to do it again. What's the matter with me? And I, you know what? I don't even want to think about it right now because it's going to drive me crazy. Ugh, I couldn't think. All right. Well, listen, I'll plan another trip and I'll get everybody on. Right now I'm doing a Vegas LA thing because I had to. All right. Let me, I'll look. Anyway, thank you for reminding me about Big John. How could we forget about Robbie Wrist? You know, she's completely right. This whole show is based on getting this guy as a guest. God, I stink. Let's hope he wouldn't be in town anyway, and then I don't have to feel so bad. So the thing, so the thing is, so I had um, money because when I opened for Sarah last year at this exact time in Toronto for two thousand people, didn't get booed off stage, didn't get booed off <laughs> because they were much polite. But uh, no, when I opened for her, I already had a trip planned to Orlando, and I canceled the trip so I could practice and do some spots which was very important and a very good idea. And it was a smart, un-Dave Juska-like move to, uh, you know, cancel my all my reservations to do this, no matter what the price. And one of the prices is they the airline wouldn't let me have all my money back. So I had this thing, and you have to use it in a year, and the year was up, like, last week. Not only was the year up last week, the year was up... The day I called and I'm like, hey, where's my money in my account? And they're like, oh, it expired at midnight last night. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 
So I was only planning a trip because otherwise I'll lose this 150, but it's kind of funny in your head. I'm like, well, if I'm going to lose 150, then I might as well spend $500. You know, it's kind of funny. Like, who cares? I wasn't planning on going anywhere. But I figure I'll check out the, com- the uh, Comedy Cellar in Vegas. I mean, right, why not, right? I'm a, com- I'm a friend of the Comedy Cellar. I'm a f- the com- part of the Comedy Cellar family. Let's check this place out. Uh, so I have the money, so I figure I'll go to Vegas. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Vegas on uh, Wednesday night, I think the 26th of April, or is that the 25th, whatever it is, because it was cheaper to fly. You know how, how I hate to. I like taking the first flight out because the first flight out is never delayed. Like ever, it's very unless it's weather related, uh, but even then, it's never delayed. The first flight out is the best, but it was like really expensive. So to you know not charge two hundred dollars more, uh, I took like a nine thirty at night flight out, and I'm going to go and I have to spend an extra night at a hotel. So was that worth it? But it turned out it was because of playing with uh, Dave and Jeff at the Borgata for like three hours at three card poker. They gave me a night free at the hotel at the Luxor. Now, the Luxor, from what I heard, is a bag of crap, but I, I really don't care. I'm just going by myself. I just need a place to stay that's not, you know, a creepy place. So maybe it's not the best, but it's still in a casino and it's on the strip, and I figure, who cares? So they give me a free night. The next night's $29, and the third night's 90 So with all the taxes and fees, it's like over $200, but still comes out less than spending the money to leave at seven in the morning the next day, whatever. But I'm going that day because Dave and Jeff are going to be in Vegas on that day because I can't go when they're actually performing. You know, it's something I could see uh, on June 9th because uh, I'm going to the track that day. I know it sounds ridiculous. I got gambling I got to do anyway that day. So, uh, you know, so at least they're going to be there. And I'm like, all right, perfect. I'll, I got to use this, these points or whatever they are. And I got to make this trip. So they'll be out there at least for the day, and I'll stay out there. I'll check out the club. I'll, uh, hey, why don't, you know, we'll do that. We'll check out the general's house. And uh, wait, what, what's, the, what's the line I'm thinking of? Damn it, I can't. I'm thinking it's from Stripes, but I'm not sure. Anyway, um, so I'm going to go there Thursday. So I'll be there Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday. And then Saturday, I'm going to drive to L.A. I got a car for like $13 a day. And then, you know, when I'm in L.A., I can stay at a place. So it really wasn't very expensive. Uh, stay at my friend Williams, who's going to be on the podcast with. So I am planning on doing some podcasts. So these people at Earwolf Studios, which uh, Scott Ackerman used to run, but he said he sold it, were very kind. They said, we'll give you a free recording session um, on Monday, which I think is the 30th of April, and then I realized, you know, I'm there for such a short time. I'm only there from Saturday to Tuesday that I didn't want to do two days of podcasting. So I'm going to do two shows on a Sunday at some studio. And my first guest will be, well, William will be my co-host as usual because he's great. And, uh, and it's certainly not as nice as the one thing Vanessa did for me, get me this place. Uh, but, you know, whatever. It's a place to podcast. And, you know, I don't want to go to people's houses. It's, it's more exciting to have them come to you it feels special even though this studio might not feel that special uh <laughs> it's just not as good as the other place um and my first guest will be my friend Sharon Houston who was the one who told me about the place and she's funny and she's cool and I've known her for years and and uh then my second guest will be Chris Regan from because we didn't get to see him last time from Family Guy he's a complete writer now uh from Family Guy and we didn't get to see him last time because his dog 
got injured in a knife fight or something like that. I don't know. It's so ridiculous. We'll find out what that story is. Those will be my two guests. Uh, could I have gotten some other guests? Sure, but uh, yeah. You know, it's fun to do podcasts. And now that we know how it works, it's fun to do it out there. And you want to have a studio. It, and it costs some money, but I'd actually pay for the money, then do it on Monday. I don't know, because it's hard to get guests on Monday. The only way I was going to do it is if Colin Smith from, uh, you know, the band with no, you know, when we do Goodfellas and Godfather and stuff, uh, if he was in L.A., which he, which you remember he moved, but he's not in L.A. that time. If he was going to be there, then I'd like to get the good studio because I'd like him to play, and that would have been so much fun. But we'll do it another time. Uh, you know, because maybe this Vegas club, maybe I'll go out there a little more. I mean, obviously I'm not going to perform there, but, uh, well, who knows? Who knows? Anywho, um, yeah, so that's the show, uh, that's the story with that, um, and Thursday, uh, last Thursday, we had a graduation for that girl, Tana, who was on our podcast, who uh, quit the law firm I work at and just wanted to go into comedy. Now, I told everybody she stunk. I was just getting very angry. Uh, because, you know, she's a very nice girl and everything, but the more I get to know her, the more she doesn't know about comedy uh, was infuriating me. To be so reckless as to quit your job and go into something you never even tried, you know nothing about, and again, that wouldn't even bother me at all if she didn't have a one-year-old. And I feel like I don't know, like I feel like I'm not getting the truth from her or whatever, so I was just getting very angry in my head about her. And, you know, she her material was going nowhere. It was dull. It was boring the class. It was, it, it was, it was disruptive in a way because it was so dull and we were trying to work with her and take out the bulk and stuff. I mean, she knows nothing about comedy. I said, oh, you know what you got to do? You got to watch the new Gary Shandling documentary. And she's like, what? I'm like, the Gary Shandling? She's like, who? I'm like, because it talks about him being wanting to get into comedy so bad into stand-up. And she's like, who is that? I mean, I can't even believe. She And it's just like, you know, she did fine because her friends were there. The first two minutes is making fun of me. And, and the crowd was loaded because they know it's a class graduation. And, you know, but what's she going to do tomorrow? And then, you know, uh, Chris Murphy says to her, like, well, you have to do like six shows a week. You know, you're going to have to do six open mics a week to get going. And she's like, what? I mean, she just, there was just like, it's just driving me crazy because, like, it's kind of none of my concern, but it is because I'm involved and she keeps, you know, involving me. And I'm now I'm part of this. And she told everybody at the place, like, oh, Dave just got my new boss. He's my mentor, you know. And I'm, But now I, I don't want to help her anymore because I, what I've, it seems like we found, like, she's just real stupid. Like, she doesn't know stuff. Like, I'm dumb, right? And it bothers me on a daily basis. But, but I know certain things. You should, I mean, I certainly know about comedy. I know the history of comedy. And I, I know who Gary Shandling is. I mean, are you kidding me? If we're trying to figure out, like, where did her, even when we had that long interview with her, where did the influence come from? Where did she say, oh, my God, I have to do this for a living? Like, she didn't see any stand-up specials, like, boy, I'm watching this Chris Rock thing. I, I think I could do this. And if you're watching Chris Rock and that's where you say, I could do this and it's her and this is what you get from her, 
Well, then she's even more of a fool than I could have possibly imagined. Where is it coming from? Where does it come from when you're like, this is for me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get serious about this. And I'm going to quit my you know, six-figure paying job, a very good six-figure paying job to do this, even though I've never tried it before. And that's the other thing. Like, If she had just tried it once, I think everybody would be okay. She was like throwing up in the back. She was so nervous. Where you'd think, I understand that's the way it is. But remember, it's just friends out there. Uh, you know, where are you getting nervous for? If this is what you want to do for a living to make money for your kid to go to college, you should be totally pumped. Boy, this is exciting. This is exciting. Like never once did she ever say this is exciting. This is exciting. She's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's frustrating for me, I guess, because I'm just like, you know, once you have a kid, it's over. You, know, you got a kid. You're done. That's why there's this woman, Kate Wolf, that I always talk about all the time. Uh, you know, she I'll never forget. She had a six-year-old kid, and she put out this thing on Facebook saying, hey, I'm leaving teaching. I'm living my dream of doing stand-up. And I'm like, no, you got a kid. Your dream's over. You're a single mother. But these both these, so I'm getting angry in a sense of like these women that can just quit. And don't work. I work every day, so I'm getting jealous. And I just don't understand it. How do you quit? And the only place you work is the New York Comedy Club. You know, which maybe that pays you 15 bucks? What am I missing here? Where do some of these comics I see, like this girl Walker Hayes, how is she spending two weeks in Australia? Does she have a regular job? It's confusing to me. Well, she doesn't have a kid, so who cares, right? I'm talking about the ones with kids mostly where I just don't. Now, okay, granted, she must come from money. She must come from money. But Tana, we have to assume she must come from money. We know her husband doesn't work. She That's all she ever says. I mean, he works, but he works for a newspaper. A newspaper, <laughs> you know, in 2018. It's it's killing, and if she's not honest, like if we've had conversations where we're sitting there and being honest with each other, why not say, well, if I can be honest with you, that my parents got money, so they help out. Like, just be honest, because if, if you're denying that and that is the case, because if it's not the case, then she's just a genuine idiot, and if it is the case, then she's just a big fat liar, and, and, it, and I know it shouldn't bother me, but it I'm involved. What can I do? And obviously a little jealous that people can just quit their jobs, and especially women. I, I'm, I'm good. I know men can quit their jobs, I guess, if they have a wife that's supporting them. So, yeah, I'm jealous that I don't have a wife that supports me, even though I could never quit because, you know, I'm brought up a different way where I'm like, I could not quit if my wife was working. I'd go, I'd feel like the biggest, like a, even more of a loser than I do now, and I don't have any kids. That's the reason I'm not married and don't have any kids. Because I can't work out. I've always been like, no, I got to support. I got to support. You got to get married. You want to have kids. You don't want to. I, I, I don't want to be one of those couples that's arguing about money. And yes, that, that probably is the reason I've never let any of the relationships. Because I'm like, I, I feel like a loser. So I think that's all building up inside. And I'm just so angry and jealous. And here's a girl that went to law school. She's making maybe $300,000 a year. Maybe they gave her a promotion before she left. 
and, and, and she didn't do any research on comedy. I think she thinks she's going to make money at it immediately. And I'm trying to tell her, like, first, the open mics pay nothing. And let's say even if you made it somehow to a point, you know, the comedy seller, even if you make it to the comedy seller, which is the, you know, the greatest club on earth right now, it still only pays $30 a spot. So the most you can make in one night is 100 bucks on a Tuesday. Now, granted, you go out every night, you make that all the time. All right, you make 500, you make 1,000 bucks a week cash. So pay for your baby? Maybe, maybe. But I mean, in 10 months, she's going to be able to make $1,000 in cash a week? She's going to be able to tour with that baby? We had this conversation. I, I don't even want to talk about it anymore, but I had to get out of my system. So yesterday, yesterday, or whatever, uh, whenever this comes out, Tuesday, the, uh, when does this come out? Tuesday the 17th, I think. Um, well, first of all, the Devils made the playoffs. So they'll already have played three games by then. So I'm going to be going. And of course, of course, uh, when they're at the Prudential Center, it's going to be Monday and Wednesday. Monday and Wednesday. It can't be on the weekends. Monday, Monday. The one day I work late at night, it figures. Well, I'm going to change my hours. I'm going to try and go to every game. I'm going to go to every playoff game. Why shouldn't I? I've been tweeting the last time they were in the playoffs with 2012, which I was at before my cousin bought the team to show I was a fan then, and they haven't made the playoffs. His teams haven't made the playoffs since he bought them. I'm talking about the Sixers and the Devils, and they're both in the playoffs this year. And quite frankly, the way the Sixers are playing, they could win it all. They're playing crazy. 76ers, I don't know where they came from all of a sudden. The Devils are just playing real well, but not like Sixers crap. I mean, that, that's amazing. So anyway, the Devils are playing the Lightning. I think they got a really good chance. Uh, they almost, if Boston had won their last game, which they didn't, uh, they would have ended up playing Boston. That would be a bad matchup for them. But I think they got a chance against the Lightning. I think they got a good chance. And remember, you know, they're the the, the eighth seed. Uh, you know, they do it differently in hockey. Uh, the eight seeds in hockey win a lot so there's no reason why not the devils i'm just glad they're in the playoffs i haven't been to the you know arena for the playoffs in a long time i think it'll be fun i'm gonna go try and go to every game just like jono would do every game so uh that all being said uh so so every time ton and i would go to this comedy class we would go to Sabaro's, which is uh, this horrible Italian chain restaurant for tourists. Sabaro's. They've closed most of them down. And somehow she found the lone one left, which is right by the Broadway Comedy Club, about 53rd and 8th Avenue. And she goes, I love it there. I want to get the spaghetti and meatballs. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then, I'm, you know, even more, I'm just like, God, you're a genuine idiot. Nobody goes to Sabaro's. So she's like, no, I used to be a regular there when it was across the street from our office. I'd go there every day. They gave me a discount. I'm like, because they closed the one across the street from our office. I'm like, no one goes in there. I've worked there almost 20 years. I, I went in there once. I'm like, why am I in here? I'm in New York City. I'm going to go to Sabaro's for Italian food. This is like when people get mad at me for going to Domino's. So I go to Sabaro's. I'm like, all right, I got to try the spaghetti and meatballs that this idiot is telling me is good. And they were delicious. It was goddamn delicious. I don't know why. Something about it was delicious. Maybe it was all the talk. I don't know. It won me over. So then every day after class, once a week, 
We have spaghetti and meatballs. You know I need a weekly routine where I'm going to eat poorly. So we have the spaghetti and meatballs, and uh, <laughs> and it's good. And then um, so we had the graduation on Thursday, and and then uh, on Tuesday we were supposed to meet like one more time. And I was like, good, because we can have spaghetti and meatballs one last time, because I certainly don't need to have that every week. And then there was like no class. They were all waiting outside because the owner, Al Martin, double books the room, has no respect for Chris Murphy, and just threw us out. And they're like, oh, we can go to a diner. I'm like, no, no, no. I got a ritual. I'm going, I'm only here to get the spaghetti and meatballs and help Tana. And I'm only here to get the spaghetti and meatballs. And he goes, well, we can go there and, and you know, talk about it. I'm like, no. I'm going there at 7.30 after class. I'm not hungry now. It's 6 o'clock. I had a tuna fish sandwich for lunch because I knew I was having spaghetti and meatballs later. And I was furious. And, and furious and so angry that this was happening. So angry. that And then I said, I'm leaving. Fuck all you guys. You're idiots that you can't make up your minds. I was so angry at Tana. She's so stupid. She can't make up her mind. This is how angry I am. Let's think about this. And I'm just yelling. And I'm like, screw you guys. And I le- I'm out of here. And I left. And then when I got like, you know, down to Fifth Avenue, I was like, what the hell is the matter with me? How could somebody be so angry about not getting spaghetti and meatball? How old am I? This is what my life has become. It's so bad. And I live for so little that the thought of not... I mean, I've always been where things don't go my way. If things don't go as planned, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freak out. And I can't help it because I get too excited because that's what I all I have in my life that this Tuesday I was going to have spaghetti and meatballs. That's all I think about. And, and, and when it doesn't happen, I just get disappointed. Now, of course, it was going to happen and it could have happened, but I was just like, I, I, I can't handle it. It's, it's, I, it's like I can't lose the anger when things don't go my way. I'm such a baby. And so then I walked home and I ordered spaghetti and meatballs from uh, John and Tony's down the street. and It was delicious. Ate the whole thing, really angry. Ate the whole thing. Did, definitely did not need to eat the whole thing. I was so angry. I was so angry. I'm like, what is the matter with me? Why am I so angry? There were so many factors of why I was angry. The fact that this club just disrespects my friend all the time makes me angry that he doesn't do something about it because he's friends with the owner. That makes me angry. Tana never being able to take my side or make up her mind. This happened at the graduate. Like, where should we go? She's like, I don't know. And I'm like, it, it rhymes me with my niece. You know, like Dory can't make up her mind. And uh, I was like, well, do you want to get a drink? I don't know. And I'm like, well, do you? Because Chris doesn't drink. So he's like, well, let's just go to a diner. I'm like, yeah, but it's a celebration. And and then she's like, all right, let's go to the bar. And then we go to the to this uh, restaurant bar and she orders a Coke. And I'm like, I thought you were drinking. I thought otherwise we could have gone to a diner. And she's driving me crazy. Everything she does is driving me crazy. Plus, there's this guy, Mike, there. And this kid, like, I don't hate him, but he he just, I, I just, I hate him. I don't like going to restaurants with him because he's an idiot. And we went to the restaurant on Thursday, and he, he always gets a separate check. He gets a separate check. And then he walks out. And I hate it. I hate it. It makes me furious. Who wouldn't that make furious? Or again, is that just me? So I'm like, I don't want to go out with this kid. I do not want to go out with this kid again. So there were three mitigating factors besides, or four, if you count the spaghetti and meatballs, that were just making me so angry. I'm like, I've had it with this class. Meanwhile, there's one kid in the class, this guy, Steven Pantaleone, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce his name. 
And he was the only guy I wanted to say, listen, kid, you were really terrific. He's been in the class, and, he, and you've seen him progress. And I think he's got a chance. And that's what makes Tana look so stupid is that this kid comes in completely raw. He's got some routines, but he's got a swagger on stage. He's, he's interesting. He's got some good material that I think he can work on and, and become good enough or, or good. And, and you just don't see that in Tana. And it's, uh, it's frustrating. And again, you know, why do I care? So I wanted to tell this kid, like, he's really good. But meanwhile, you know, me, I mean, everybody I tell is good stinks. I mean, they never go anywhere, and everybody I tell is bad, they go somewhere. So, I mean, was that going to be the opposite? I don't know. But uh, I, don't, I, I just don't know. But when we did go to the place, I was drinking a black, I had three black and tans. Those are delicious. They don't make them everywhere. Black and tans. I believe a black and tan is, it's half Guinness and half I think the black and tan is half Guinness, half harp beer. It's like half Guinness and half an amber beer. And I think if you get a half and half, it's Guinness, half Guinness and half bass. It's one or the other like that. It's harp and bass. But those are good. I like them. I had three of those. So then, you know, I was in a pretty good mood. But I was screaming at Tana. I'm like, wait, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And, and you know, Murphy's like, let her have her moment. I'm like, oh, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I'm like, what's the matter with me? It's just obviously it's frustrating me. So Friday night I went out and uh it was last Friday. It'd be a week and a half ago, whatever. And uh this girl called me and she goes, Are you gonna go to the bar? You know, my favorite bar. And I'm like, I don't know. I really wasn't sure. It's very difficult for me to go out after work. You know, I'm always like, I just want to go home. I want to change my clothes, and then, I, and then I'm like, who am I kidding? I'm not going out. I mean, I'd like to pretend like I could go home and go out again, but it's very difficult, and I think half of you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. So you got to go out right from work. Um, so it was coming down the wire, and then at 6 o'clock, I'm like, you know what? I think I'll go down to the cellar. Uh, you know, let me, let me make an appearance there, and then I'll go over to the bar. But I didn't tell that girl I was coming. And when I got to the cellar, Amy Schumer was there, and I was talking to her for a little bit, but then then, then Rachel came, you know, which is great. Um, and so then I was just sitting at the comics table with Amy and Rachel, and then Amy just, I don't know. You know, I know she doesn't not like me or anything, but um, she just shut. if she doesn't, if you're not her best friend, she just shuts down. It's not like Sarah or people who can... You know, at least put up a conversation. So you just feel like shit sometimes. It's really annoying. But that's all right. Uh, but, you know, it's always nice to see everybody there. And uh, so I spent a little more time there than I thought I would. And then I walked over. But it was still early. Remember, I got down there like 6.30, 7 o'clock. And then I went over to the bar. And I had just gotten that girl's text like, oh, I guess you're not coming. And then I walked in as I got the text. But I guess she sent the text before. Because when I got there, she was really angry that I hadn't texted did or told her I was coming which was a dick move because I think she likes me that way so that was like a test and I completely failed if that's what I'm thinking but I like to think that's the way it is anyway so you know I don't know we're having a good time but everything's okay and I'm drinking a little bit she's drinking and then she's got to go because it's Passover and she hasn't eaten yet you know, because she's only had some matzah. 
Maybe I didn't mention she's Jewish. And then, uh, so she's getting a V, and I walk her outside, and I walk her away from the bar so I can uh, make the move. You know what I'm talking about. And then um, that stupid V, it comes. And I'm like, well, I, where you go? I got, but I haven't done my what I need to, because, you know, I'm always delayed. I'm so worried now. It's not, it's not like the old days when we could do whatever we wanted. And it's not. And then, you know, I'm reminded again. It's so difficult to make the move living in New York City. And when I think about all the times I would do it, I'm trying to think. I want to go through, like, my book and find out, like, where did I make the move? How did I do that? Because it's so much easier, and we've talked about this before. It's so much easier to make a move in the suburbs because you're driving. And there will always be the moment when you have to drop somebody off where there's a moment. In New York City... You either have to do it at the bar, and again, we've talked about this before, or before she gets into a cab, or in the cab. And that's it, 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 it's really complicated. And when you do it before she gets in the cab, the cab drivers are all beeping and shit, especially like four in the morning, they're all beeping, and I'm like, fuck you, this is why Uber is great, because the cab drivers suck, because I'm always like, screw you, take off, asshole, where were you at four o'clock in the afternoon when you had your damn off-duty sign-on, asshole? Cab drivers drove themselves right out of business, and now they're hanging themselves. And so Uber did this to me. You did it to yourselves, jerk-offs. You and your off-duty signs at 4 in the afternoon, being real wise asses. And then somebody figured it out, and they're like, we'll just do it like this. And now you guys all look stupid. Thank you. Yeah, I hate cab drivers. I always have, even though I take cabs all the time now because now I have an app. But, uh, yeah, back in the day when they were just, you know, you'd try and get a cab around 4 o'clock. Maybe it's still like that. I don't know. But now it's so easy to call, you know, an Uber or something. They would always have their off-duty signs on all the time. Off-duty, off-duty. And then sometimes they have their off-duty sign. And then they ask you, like, oh, where are you going? Oh, screw you. You go where I tell you to go. Either pick me up or don't pick me up. What's with your off-duty sign, jerk off? And then at 4 in the morning, they're all, oh, they're, a, hey, a couple. I know they're okay. Ugh. Drives me crazy. But, you know, anyway, so then um, I was supposed to have a date the next day on Saturday, and uh, I was kind of hungover, and she never texted. And uh, I texted her like around three. And I said, What are we doing tonight? And never heard from her. And then around six o'clock, I'm like, Well, you know, in a way, maybe it's best because I'm kind of hungover, and I don't know if I could be my best self this evening. And, so then by 8 o'clock, I'm like, all right, she's definitely not texting, which is so embarrassing, except that I was kind of also like, eh. So I, I, I called Memo, and I'm like, are you going to the bar today, the queen, the pinball bar? And he's like, yeah, I'll go, but we didn't end up going there. We went to Alan and Lee's, the, you know, the, the, my friend Alan, the homosexual. <laughs> Look, he's all about being a homosexual, so it's okay to say. Uh, they got a new place in Jackson Heights, and we went there, just hung out, ate something, watched TV. I was just so happy to get out of my house I couldn't believe I was out two nights in a row. And then Sunday, I never left the house again. So for me, that was a win. Because it would have been very easy to never leave on Saturday and then never leave on Sunday. And I actually tried to get out of the house on Sunday. But I was so, so hungover both nights. I just It was kind of a great day if it wasn't such a beautiful day outside. Where I was just waking up. I watched TV. I went back to bed. I got up. I ordered something to eat. I went back to bed. No, I went back to bed. Then I watched TV. Then it was just back and forth like that. That's a beautiful day. 
But then when it gets dark, I'm like, oh, my God, I wasted it. Then he get upset. And then I'm just sitting around. I'm like, oh, my God, I did nothing. But then I get excited because then I have uh, practice with Jessica Pilot on Monday. So you look forward to that. You know, I, I need things to look forward to. I like having a routine. You know, usually Monday night is wing night during football season. Although I don't know how long I can keep doing that. I, I know I should have done it a long time ago, but I, I, I guess I got to watch my weight. <laughs> Obviously. You've seen crashing. But uh, it's funny that now I'm like, you know, I really should. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be 65. I'm going to be like, you know, I really should concentrate on. But for me, I'm like, well, what else am I doing? I got nothing else. I look forward to food. I look forward to food. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm very confused. Anyway, uh, so last night, you know how Jono was saying I haven't watched a lot of these movies. And um, he was right. Uh, but, uh, but he's talking about movies from the 50s and stuff. And I've always hated movies from the 50s. As, as, I'm just not that type of person. Some people like, when they used to say old movies, they're talking about black and whites and 50s and 30s, 40s. I just never liked them. I never, and that's why I've always said I'm so jealous of people born in the 80s because you you know the movies that they grew up on are Back to the Future, and or if you're growing up now, you know you have movies from the age of sixteen, can all that kind of stuff, which is fun and in color with music, all the stuff we grew up on before. You know, if I was born in the '60s, then you know I'm talking about stuff from the '40s. You know, besides the Wizard of Oz, who who, who gives a shit? You know, I mean, I like uh, Casablanca, but. I can't see as a little kid. You know, they didn't make kids movies besides Shirley Temple. And they're so slow and dull and boring. And if you don't like musicals, which of course I do, but I'm just saying, if you didn't, they, they didn't make kids movies. They didn't make anything fun for kids until Steven Spielberg came around. Nobody did anything. For Steven Spielberg and John Hughes, Steven Spielberg made kids more kid-friendly movies and John Hughes made more teenage-friendly movies. Before those guys came along, there was nothing. Dobie Gillis, even though it's TV, I'm just, I mean, you know, it's that, you know, any kid movie is more like Back to the Future where it's from the 50s, you know, and you're like, wait, that doesn't, I don't relate to that. I don't relate to dressing up in a jacket and tie and dancing to, you know, Glenn Miller. I don't understand. So anyway, last night I watched this movie, which don't get mad at me, which I've never seen. I've heard about it. I know it's a classic. I mean, I think I even went as one of these guys for Halloween or we had a thing, but Slapshot. 1977, Paul Newman, never seen it. And I like hockey. So think about it, how taboo that is that I never saw it. Very embarrassed. Finally watched it. It was fantastic. I loved it. It was so good. I can't believe I'd never seen it. And what I'm saying about that is I believe it like really slipped through the cracks for me. Well, you know, at 77, I guess I was 13. And, you know, you see movies like Star Wars. Remember I told you my dad wouldn't take me to see Three Days of the Condor because it was rated R. I'd never seen a rated R movie until 1980. So it would make sense that I hadn't seen it. Um, but, boy, I, I certainly wish I had. Because it was so cool and it was so awesome and the cursing is awesome in it and Paul Newman's awesome and the Hanson brothers. Now, I remember in 
two or three, we had a floor hockey team in college, and I think we were some derogatory black name, uh, which now seems pretty bad, uh, <laughs> but for some reason back then it was okay. Um, I, I, what can I tell you? Uh, and we were playing, and you know, we all put on glasses and we're like, oh, we're all going as the Hanson brothers. I had no idea what they were talking about. No idea. But I just thought it was funny to play hockey with glasses on. And now that I've seen the movie and I've seen people go on Halloween for the Hanson brothers, I'm like, oh, the Hanson brothers. Of course, the Hanson brothers. What? Boy, now I understand. Now I understand. What a fun movie. Those guys are so interesting. Then I did some some research on it, you know. And it was so interesting. Like, first of all, a woman wrote that movie. A woman. A woman wrote a classic sports movie. That's amazing. In 77? Uh, I can't remember the name. Dowd. Nancy Dowd. Because her brother played hockey. So you got the thing. The Hanson brothers were, were actually real hockey players. I think they're called uh, Carlson or something. You know, brother. And they were real hockey players. They got a lot of real hockey players like... Nancy Dowd's brother plays like the the ultimate, you know, goon uh, guy. You know, so it was all like, you know, taken from like real minor league hockey stuff. And it's really fun. And of course, the best part is uh, Paul Newman when he meets the owner and it's this woman and she's going to fold the team. You know, they're trying to do this so they can save the team to get the crowd going. In, and she's like, I'm folding the team no matter whether you make money or not as a tax write-off. And then he gets so angry, he goes, you know, your son looks like a fag to me. You better get married again because he's going to wind up somebody's cock in his mouth before you can say Jack Robinson. And she's like, how dare you? It's really funny. They call everybody a dyke and a fag. Can't do that anymore, but that's what makes the movie so awesome. So last Friday, I found out last Friday, this isn't funny, 15 people were killed. Uh, 14 injured when a semi-trailer collided with a bus carrying a youth hockey team in Canada. And ironically, all that was found at the site was a shattered Slapshot DVD. And the Hanson brothers, or the Carlson brothers, posted it uh, online because they're very proud of their work in that movie. But the woman that wrote the movie doesn't want them doing... um, you know, appearances anymore or something, which is a dick move. Who gives a crap? But the movie didn't make that that much money in 77, and I have the list. You know, 77 is such a fascinating year. That's the year Annie Hall won Best Picture. Very fascinating year. Lots of our favorites are in that movie. And I was going through a 100 of the movies that came out, pretty much all the movies that came out in 1977. It's not like today. And I saw 11 of the movies in the theater when they came out. 11. You know, now I never go. I saw 11, which means I saw one movie a month in 1977, about. And I saw 24 out of 100 of them overall from 1977. And, of course, the first one is Star Wars. Now, I've never heard of Star Wars. That's not one of the ones I saw. I'm kidding. Uh, I saw that one in the movie theater. Smokey and the Bandit is number two. Remember, we've talked about that, that Smokey and the Bandit was the number two movie after Star Wars in 1977. I mean, that is unbelievable. 
right? You think about it now. Number three was Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I saw in the movie theater. You know, I want to say I saw it by myself. Is it possible as a 13-year-old boy I went to see Close Encounters by myself? I think I did. I think I did. I think that might have been the first movie I saw by myself. Close Encounters. Yeah. Uh, Saturday Night Fever, which I didn't see in the movie theaters, but you know, saw later, like 20 years later. And of course, now it's totally one of my, totally one of my favorites. I just can't even believe it, right? The Goodbye Girl, I saw with a friend, but I think I saw it three times. So I might have went by myself once. I loved it. The Goodbye Girl, number five. Uh, a Bridge Too Far I never saw, ever. I don't care. The Deep with Jackie Bissett and Nick Nolte. I remember I saw, I must have been at camp. I saw it with a camp crowd. In fact, I remember it vividly because we went to the movie theater in camp, you know, in Stupid Sleepaway. And this kid, Andy Chasen, I'll never forget. Good-looking kid. Uh, I liked him a lot. And we were bunkmates for, I guess, two years. You know, they were like, you know, they were like, 12 of us in a bunk or whatever. And this kid was all right. And uh, he even came to my bar mitzvah. You know, I, I, it was the one camp guy that came to my bar mitzvah because uh, he lived in like Spring Valley, New York, you know, and so it's about an hour drive. And he met some girl and was furiously making out with her in the movie theater, this really hot blonde girl, furiously making out with her in the movie theater while we saw The Deep. I didn't see it. I mean, I didn't see them making out, but we were told when we got back to our bunk. And when he came in, I'll never forget, because it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. When he came in and everybody was just like, dude, what? Look at this guy. Look at this guy. He just goes like, and remember, he, he was not a cool guy. He was just a nice guy. He was just like, you learn anything? <laughs> Man, I was like, that's, I want to be like that. When I get that, you know, when I ever make out with a girl, if that ever happens in my lifetime, I want to be that cool. I always thought about that. Uh, but I've never been that cool. They're always like, dude, you were my, I'm like, I know, I can't even believe. Um, <laughs> learn anything? Huh? Oh, it was uh, badass cool. It really was. The deep. I'll never forget. It was like uh, they were just banking on the Jaws thing, but uh, that Jackie Bissett's all right because I just watched the Cheers episode last night with Kramer as the villain who comes into the bar. I remember this one when it first came out because my friend uh, Lawrence Lerman and Joe Salabi went to the taping of it in California. They told me about it, and then I saw it, so I was like already up on it, but it's funny seeing Kramer as the villain. He comes, and when Sam was really drunk in his drunken days, said he would sell the bar to the guy if he doesn't marry Jackie Bissett by that midnight the next day. Um, and then, of course, they have to run around finding a girl with the same name that he could marry so this bar bet doesn't take place. That's why I always remember Jackie Bissett, who was ridiculously hot. Then The Spy Who Loved Me, which I totally saw in the movie theater with Rich Bernard. I can't believe all these movies were 77. That was the first James Bond movie I ever saw in the movie theater. Then Oh God, which I saw on cable, which was awesome. Never saw it in the movie theater. I don't know why, because it was so good. And then Annie Hall, which I never saw in the movie theater, which is so weird. 
which I didn't see until like 1980 or 81. So I just didn't understand. Annie Hall, can you believe that? Um, then, you know, the number 11 movie that year, Pete's Dragon, which I never saw because I really couldn't care less. And I always thought all that Disney animation back then was stupid. Even though I think, I don't have it on the list, but I thought The Rescuers came out that year because that changed animation again, you know, made it like better somehow. I don't know. I'll tell you about that another time. Semi-tough. So Burt Reynolds was in two big box office movies that year, Smoking the Bandit and Semi-Tough. Semi-Tough only making $37 million, but Smoking the Bandit making $126 million. If you're not the shit at that point, which he was, I mean, that's pretty cool. Two movies out that make a lot of money. $37 million at that time is probably like $100 million now. Uh, the Turning Point, Shirley MacLaine. I just remember when my parents and my sister saw it, they're like, do you want to come with us? I'm like, no, I'm not a fag. <laughs> Meanwhile, I should have seen that movie. Uh, but I remember I was home alone. They all went to go see it. I'm like, no, not interested. See Brishnikov in his tights going around dancing. I don't give a crap, right? I just don't care. doesn't matter, right? Who cares? Come on, man. It's your problem. Uh Heroes, which I saw in the movie theater because Henry Winkler was in it. You can't. You, you don't think I'm going to the movie theater to see the Fonz in a serious role with Harrison Ford? I'll tell you why I saw it because one of the coming attractions, probably for the Spy Who Loved Me, was where he he was a little crazy. I think he'd come back from war. I don't even remember the plot. I just remember it wasn't a very good movie. But I was like, there's no way I'm going to miss a Henry Winkler movie. And there was a scene where he's like on a bus and the bus didn't stop, so he's just in the bus's face while it's moving, and he goes, I'm supposed to be on this bus. I don't know if you remember that scene. I always remember that. High Anxiety, which I totally saw in the movies. Mel Brooks, first Mel Brooks movie I ever saw in the movies. 77, pivotal year. Airport 77, which I did not see in the movies, but certainly saw later on, with, you know, the airport movies was where they use all the, uh, you know, like Towering Inferno and all that stuff where they were using the washed-up stars of the day, kind of like a pre-love boat, they were using these stars in these disaster movies. And uh, one of the people in it, you might remember from uh, this classic scene. Guess who? Uh, Eddie Wilmore? Nope. Uh, Bob Westanwick? Uh-uh. Was Maui Wayne? Nope. Uh, Olivia de Havilland. Nope, but you're getting warmer. Say, you wouldn't be that schooly wabbit, would you? Could be. Doggone, you old mean wabbit. Uh, that's one of my favorite things. Bugs Bunny comes up and covers his eyes, so if anyone ever does that to me, they go, guess who? I go, Olivia de Havilland? Um, I love that scene because it's just like he's naming all these stars that if you were a kid, you're like, I don't understand what's happening now. Barbara Stanwyck? That's when you know when those movies were made. It's so funny. Is it Olivia de Havilland? I always use that line now. But who doesn't use a lot of Bugs Bunny lines? So then after that, Slapshot. Didn't make a lot of money. I don't know how I missed it. I remember hearing about it, but I guess it was Rain and R, and I was also 
afraid of half the movies out there. My parents made me so nervous. I was afraid of everything. I was like, if it's rated R, it's got to be scary because, you know, they spook you because it's rated R. What's going to happen? And, you know, like I told you, I was afraid to see Caddyshack. I was afraid to see Caddyshack. It's no wonder I'm a mess. I was afraid to see Caddyshack. I'm like, if it's rated R, it's going to be scary. Oh, my God. Oh, this is like a therapy session. Um, then The Hills Have Eyes. You remember that? I mean, this is this year we... These are all movies we've heard of. 77. It's amazing. The Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. You're damn right I saw that one. Are you kidding? That's with Jimmy Bayo. Who's that? That's Scott Bayo's brother. We love Scott Bayo. Scott Bayo? What's he doing? And of course, that movie takes place at the old Astrodome, which was classic. And remember, of course, they have that one. Let them play. Let them play. Oh, we couldn't wait to see that one. I remember when they had the coming attractions for that and all the kids are grown up and you see them in the van and we're like, oh, <laughs> there's Inkelberg. Oh, it's Tanner. He's crazy. But that movie stinks. It stinks. We're so excited because the original Bad News Bears was so kick-ass. Can you imagine that was even before 77? Then for the love of Benji, one of those stupid Benji movies. This is the premise of the Benji movie. For the love of Benji, it made like nothing. Benji sniffs out a bogus CIA agent in Athens, Greece. Are you kidding? They had the nerve to make a movie about that. Looking for Mr. Goodbar. Now, there you go. Now, this is the thing we were talking about. Now, that is Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton, we were talking about Allison Williams. If Allison Williams had come out with a classic comedy like Annie Hall, she would be a living legend because she does this scary, spooky thing and get out, and then she could do the classic comedy. Diane Keaton, same year, unbelievable. Like Burt Reynolds, just not a moneymaker. She does Annie Hall, wins the Oscar, number 11 film of the year, and then she does this little movie where she plays this completely opposite character, even though, you know, it's Diane Keaton, so it's Diane Keaton, but plays a completely opposite character of instead of being like a kind of a social misfit and, uh, you know, a little nervous about guys and Annie Hall uh, plays the complete opposite character, just totally looking to get laid, looking for Mr. Goodbar and uh, fascinating to do two of those things in the same year like that. Totally different characters. That's kick ass. Remember Black Sunday? Black Sunday. Totally remember that as a kid. Black Sunday, uh, when that terrorist group attempted to blow up a Goodyear blimp hovering over the Super Bowl with the President of the United States in attendance. Oh, it's a classic. It's a classic. It was always on the TV movie of the week. You know, it was, like, it was always like, like ABC would always air it on like Super Bowl Sunday, which is like now they would never do that. You don't want to give terrorists any ideas. Then Orca. You remember that one? Or the killer whale with Bo Derek? I, I, I can totally remember all these movies. I didn't see them because I just wasn't interested in half of them, but I totally, like, you can remember all of them because they, like, because movies were, like, a big event. You know, it's not like now where things just completely just go either straight to whatever or there's just so many more because people make them on their cameras. New York, New York. Number 28, there's a Robert De Niro film. New York, New York with uh, Martin Scorsese. And Liza Minnelli, Bobby Deerfield, which was directed by Sidney Pollack, starring Al Pacino. I never saw that one. This is about him as Al Pacino as a race car driver. How did that one slip through the cracks? Damnation Alley, I know because Jack Earl Haley was in that, and he's in the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. Remember, he plays Kelly Leak. I mean, this guy had two movies in one year. Think Jack Earl Haley? What? 
you know who had two movies that year? Burt Reynolds. How's this Jack Earl Haley having two movies? I remember that damnation Alley because Jack Earl Haley was in it. I never saw it, but I remember he was in it. I'm like, oh, there's the guy from the Bad News Bears. Eraserhead, that was a cold classic. Or, or midnight. I could never get through that one, that David Lynch, apparently classic. I could never get through it. I've tried multiple times, can't get through it. I could never watch it at midnight. I fell asleep every time. Then a stupid Charlie Brown movie, that Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown was back as shit. Um, Suspiria, which is a classic horror film. You know, that came, and there are all these like cult films um, that year, you know, like Eraserhead or a Suspiria. And of course, the Kentucky Fried movie came out the year, the, that year, which I saw in the movie theater probably later, like 1980, maybe a couple years later. Then there's this movie called Sorcerer with Roy Scheider, which I remember seeing, which was really good about these guys, these like, kind of losers from different parts of the globe. They agree to risk their lives transporting gallons of nitroglycerin across dangerous South American jungle. It's a really interesting movie uh, with a really f- great ending, and it's like manly, and it's just sweaty, and I remember it was really good. And then, of course, um, I totally remember The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, because when you're 13, you're seeing everything, because you you, you, you're right in between, but maybe I didn't see that one. I definitely saw it, because, of course, it had the, you know this classic song. The wonderful thing about triggers is to get the wonderful things. The tops are made of the rubber, the bottoms are made of the springs. The bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, pouncy, fun, 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 fun. Uh, but the most wonderful thing about triggers is I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I always remember that one because uh, I always think about that he comes into Pooh's house. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's scary because the, the thing's creaking. If I remember correctly, it's creaking. And then Tigger comes in and he does that song. And then he leaves and he just goes into the night. And I remember he sings going into the night. And I was always like, yeah, that's what I want to do when I leave people's houses. Just go like this this character that just sings or talks into the night and just walks away. Kind of like, I, don't, well, I was thinking like that Stallone thing when he's just talking all night, like in that thing we played uh, two weeks ago. But um, I don't know. There's something that it's so weird and it i know it's a cartoon <laughs> but there's something so weird about like that there's no fear in these people that they just go off somewhere into the night and they're just not afraid of anything when the character has been afraid the whole time i don't know i know that sounds weird but that's the way my mind works then i remember this movie the car a car that was possessed i remember i remember i didn't see it but i totally remember because they had all those kind of movies and then you remember this is another one me and Atel used to talk about for years. Capricorn One. You remember that one? With O.J. Simpson and Elliot Gould? Uh, where they had a fake Mars mission. Um, uh, a NASA Mars mission won't work and its funding is en- endangered. So they decide to fake it. But then they have to keep up the secret. And I think Atel and I used to talk about it because Elliot Gould was the lead. And he was a journalist and he was checking. And he was, you know, people were trying to kill him. And for a Jew uh, to play that kind of part was a big deal for us, you know? Uh, so it was kind of cool. And uh, here, listen to this. Peter Hyams, I don't know how you pronounce his name. He was the director. I think he directed, remember his name from somewhere. Later joked, O.J. Simpson was in it and Robert Blake was in his, Robert Blake was in his first feature called Busting. I've said many times, some people have AFI Lifetime Achievement Awards. Some people have multiple Oscars. 
My bit of trivia is that I've made films with two leading men who were subsequently tried for the first-degree murder of their wives. Now, that's hilarious. Yeah, so Capricorn 1. Like, I never... Uh, I don't think I ever saw it, but I remember when it came out, it was like a big deal. But I don't. I thought it was a big deal, and I thought it made money, but it's number 56 at the box office that day. But, I mean, you know, what are you supposed to do then? It's like... Um, you know, that year you're going to get Star Wars. So then there's this movie which won a lot of awards. And again, if we're looking at now, and we had a you know we had a huge conversation how uh, what, what was the one we were talking about? Not Get Out, of course, but um, all the movies we you know about a month ago we were talking about how like The Shape of Water is not a box office thing, and it was at the very bottom. Not just Steve Porter, but Darkest Diary, all at the bottom, not making money. Here's another example, even going back then in 1977, Julia with Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda, a bonafide box office star, number 57 that year. Uh, she was nominated. It won Best Screenplay. Uh, and, and, and listen to this guy. The guy that won, who wrote it, Alvin Sargent, he wrote Bobby Deerfield that same year. Without Pacino, he wrote Ordinary People, which I think he might have won for again. He wrote White Palace, which uh, I only enjoyed because James Spader was in that one. He wrote, you ready for this? What about Bob? Our favorite movie that I'm going to do this summer at Joe Messina's house. Mm, mm, oh, Jocelyn, this corn is scrumptious. <laughs> so excited about that. But here's the best part. He wrote Spider-Man 2. What? How is that possible? How is that possible that he wrote Spider-Man 2? Spider-Man 2 is like one of the most quotable movies of all time. You know I love Spider-Man 2. I was going out with a girl. I kept quoting Spider-Man 2. I'm like, I'm sorry. I keep going over the dialogue. When she goes, no, I love it. And I'm like, what's the matter with you? Spider-Man 2 is terrific. Spider-Man 2 is one of the best superhero movies ever made. How about this guy? Alvin Sargent, his brother Herb Sargent. Get this. His brother Herb Sargent. You might have seen his name. With Chevy Chase created Weekend Update. He created it. It's unbelievable. Anyway, that year, classic year, Jason Robarts won Best Supporting Actor for this, Julia, and Vanessa Redgrave, legendarily, because I remember it, and I'll tell you why, won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. She won. Now, this idiot had produced and narrated a documentary entitled The Palestinian, a completely pro-PLO movie. You know, the Palestinian, Libyan, Oregon, whatever their name was, Palestinian bullshit. Movie angered many in the Jewish community, in particular a radical group called the Jewish Defense League, whose goal was to eliminate fascism and anti-Semitism in all forms. Now, I'll never, you know, my mother was all over this. So we hated Vanessa Redgrave growing up. I mean, we hated her. Pro-PLO. That's, that's sick. The Palestines, Palestinians, Yasser Arafat, they were a bunch of terrorists and a bunch of douchebags. And I'll never like Palestine. The Palestines are like Klingons for me, so I don't give a shit. Um, Vanessa Redgrave was an asshole. So at the ceremony, and it's kind of funny because it's very much what happened Last year and this year and this year, especially with Gary Oldman, and it's, it's, I think he beats his wife, so we shouldn't vote for him. So there were calls for people not to vote for Vanessa Redgrave over the charges. She was an anti-Semite. 
She received death threats. Uh, at the, there was so much security. There were sharpshooters on the roof. Um, but she ended up winning. Now, this is what happened when she won. And I salute you, and I pay tribute to you, and I think you should be very proud that in the last few weeks you've stood firm and you have refused to be intimidated by the threats of a small bunch of Zionist hoodlums whose behavior, whose behavior is an insult to the statue of Jews all over the world and to their great and heroic record of struggle against fascism and oppression. And I pledge to you that I will continue to fight against anti-Semitism. Yeah, what a fucking, what a bunch of crap. And so you hear those, those, uh, ooh. Of a small bunch of Zionist hoodlums whose behavior. They're booing her and shit. They're booing her because she's a bag of shit and she's pro-PLO. And, uh, you know, nobody was pro-PLO then. And, that was, you know, Yasser Arafat was a known terrorist. Rudy Giuliani snubbed him when he was around, when he was trying to make peace with everybody. He's like, I'm not going to shake hands with a known terrorist, you fucking idiots. So she sucks. And um, you could hear the crowd. I mean, there's a bunch of juice in the crowd. What are they going to fucking say? Um, so... Uh, then, so they, they, they were saying, if you, you look up the interesting, you know, they, 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 they probably didn't want to vote for her, but there was no one else to vote for. The other nominees were all first-timers. Uh, this Leslie Brown from The Turning Point. Who the fuck is that? The, I mean, The Turning Point was the ballet movie, right? But I'm just saying, who's Leslie Brown? We don't even know who she is to this day. The other one was Quinn Cummings from The Goodbye Girl. She's like 10. And you, you just can't give, you know, Tatum O'Neill had just one. For Paper Moon, you can't give another 10-year-old an Oscar. But then there was the Melinda Dillon from Close Encounters, who's in a science fiction film. They're not obviously going to give it to him, otherwise, her, otherwise Star Wars would have won. But I'm just saying Melinda Dillon wasn't that great. If you want to give somebody a supporting Oscar in Close Encounters, give it to Terry Garr, the put-upon wife that Richard Dreyfuss has to deal with. Melinda Dillon, all she does is cry through the whole picture. She doesn't deserve it either. And then Tuesday Weld... From looking for Mr. Goodbar, maybe you should have given it to him. But it, because it was such a sexual and violent movie, they couldn't do it. So this movie was ironically about the Nazis and the Holocaust, and they gave it to Vanessa Redgrave anyway. So then, Zionist hoodlums. So then, the great Panny Chayefsky comes out. Now remember, this is all amazing because it's completely uh, uh, you know, relevant. Because this is all happening now. Remember how mad we are when the celebrities just bring out their stupid political views? So we're never going to be done with this. It will never go away because this was happening 40 years ago. And when all these idiots were going like, oh, what was it this year? Oh, the Me Too movement and all the nonsense. Shut up. We don't want to hear from you. We don't want to hear your Trump views. We don't want to hear anything. You're an actor. So this guy, Paddy Chavsky, who's a major intellect who won for Network the year before, he's given out best screenplay to, to Woody Allen or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think he gave it to Woody Allen, right? Yeah, he did. Um, so how great is that? Even though Woody Allen, of course, wasn't there. So Paddy Chavsky comes up, and uh, he's got to say something because this uh, whore just ruined everything. 
Uh, before I get on to the writing awards, there's a little matter I'd like to tidy up. At least if I expect to live with myself tomorrow morning. I would like to say, personal opinion of course, that I'm sick and tired of people exploiting the occasion of the Academy Awards. There it is. You tell her, Patty. For the propagation of their own personal political propaganda. There you go. There you go. What? Should I get that on a fucking loop? Right? I would like to suggest to Miss Redgrave that her winning an Academy Award is not a pivotal moment in history, does not require a proclamation, and a simple thank you would have sufficed. How about this guy? How about this guy? Should we have that on a loop? Should we have this on a loop when people get up there and start you know, wielding their views around, you know, and, and I'm talking about even as much as Francis McDormand. I mean, who didn't even do anything that bad. Let's just have this guy in a loop. Every time somebody starts with their political group, we just play. They just bring down the screen and show this guy saying that. Isn't that amazing? 40 years ago, people were still pissed about all this nonsense. And she's sitting there just talking about, I mean, she's like, and how about these Zionist hoodlums? She's pro-PLO. So the best part, and I totally remember this, and I, you know, I wasn't exactly sure what was going on. I just knew my mother was pissed. But when Saturday Night Live was really the shit, they called attention to it in the best way. This was their cold open the next Saturday after the awards aired. Grandma Walton tries to tie her shoelace will not be seen tonight so that NBC may present the following special program. I always make these things so hard to open. And the winner is... Vanessa Redgrave for Julia. It's Bill Murray and Lorraine Newman uh, presenting the award to Jane Curtin as Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, Maya, I can't believe this. I don't know where to begin. There are so many people and things to condemn. Of course, there are the Zionist hoodlums, the British imperialist hoodlums in Northern Ireland, the white racist hoodlums in South Africa, there are so many hoodlums that if I tried to condemn them all, I'm afraid I'd leave someone out and feel terrible tomorrow. <laughs> so for all the hoodlums out there that I'd like to condemn, you know who you are. I'd just like to say I despise you and everything you stand for. But there is someone I've brought with me tonight who deserves to share this opportunity to spout his own political views. Ladies and gentlemen, Yasser Arafat. <laughs> So then Belushi comes out dressed as Arafat. He's like, hey, all right. He like kisses Vanessa Redgrave and he takes the award and he's and he's like holding it up and he's wearing sunglasses and the chic thing. <laughs> he's like so into it. It's so funny. Thank you. I didn't expect Vanessa to win, so I didn't have anything prepared. Guerrilla warfare, as, as everyone who has been a guerrilla knows, requires 
dedication and a lot of hard work, which goes unappreciated. So I'd like to thank the gorillas in southern Lebanon. This is for you guys. <laughs> and the many wonderful people who work endless hours with me in Beirut. <laughs> I realize we're running over, but I, I would like to take this moment to introduce a fellow that I have had many differences in the past, but he's a great Arab in his own right, so then Garrett Morris comes out as Anwar Sadat. This is so awesome, right? They're really letting Vanessa Redgrave have it. All the worst people on the planet coming to accept the award. I remember this as a kid. Thank you. Really, really, thank you. Usually I wince at mixing show business with politics, but I would like to take this opportunity to condemn the Cypriot dwarfs. Yes, yes, really. And I want to bring up a man who has helped me, especially this year, your president and mine, Jimmy Carter. Thank you, Anwar. There's something I want to say about an incident that occurred earlier tonight when a, the gentleman who received the Oscar for special effects thanked his producer and director. I'm sick and tired of people using the Oscars as a platform to recognize outstanding achievement in the motion picture arts. And of course, there's something else I, I have to say or I, I wouldn't be able to live with myself tomorrow morning, and that is... Live from New York, it's Saturday night. Well, you know, it, it's so fascinating. Um, first of all, how great is uh, Dan Aykroyd? I mean, he's just so good uh, as Jimmy Carter. And think about how they got that all right. I mean, that's, you know, there was no, you just had to remember everything they said. There was no YouTube that it was playing all the time, and they got it all right. They did uh, Vanessa Redgrave. Then they just have, you know, Yasser Arafat come out. And he was, I'll never forget as a kid, he was so funny coming out in that chic thing and just making fun. And then uh, Dan Aykroyd being the Patty Chayefsky character. Oh, my God. That was so funny. I'll never forget. I remember as a kid, we all, like in junior high the next day, we were just like, oh, my God, wasn't Belushi hilarious? He just comes out. He's like, woo, woo. Like, you know, I can't believe we won. And it was just really sticking it in her stupid, her stupid face, Vanessa Redgrave. What an asshole. Anyway, just continuing with that year, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. Totally saw that in the movie. That was amazing. That was the, uh, what's that guy's name? Ray Harryhausen and his animation. You know, like the last one with uh, Clash of the Titans and Jason and the Argonauts. Remember that, 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 you know, stop motion animation stuff? Oh, my God. That was so good back in the day. That's all we had. It's so, oh, my God. Oh, it's just, I just think how horrible life was then. There was just so nothing to do. Um, then Grand Theft Auto came out that year with Ron Howard, and he directed it. So in 77, Ron Howard directed this movie, Grand Theft Auto, that I totally remember. And it was I saw it on TV, and it was really funny because it was stupid. But he was directing in 77. 
77. It's amazing how good he became. And then it occurred to me, you know, think about this. Ron Howard is directing or became the third director for the new Han Solo Star Wars movie, the prequel. Uh, And I heard George Lucas was very helpful And I bet you George Lucas was very helpful in Grand Theft Auto because, as you may or may not know, Ron Howard was in American Graffiti, which was directed by George Lucas. And so it comes back around where George Lucas is helping Ron Howard, or just, you know, as a consultant, direct the Han Solo movie, which he was taking over because Ron Howard is now an Academy Award-winning director but his first directorial movie was grand theft auto in 1977 after that was fun with dick and jane with again jane fonda who did two movies that year one drama one comedy george siegel and george siegel as i was was remade with jim carrey a couple years ago but i remember seeing it in the theater with my mother i think i can't believe how many movies i saw in the theater that year But the funny thing about that movie is I totally remember it because I remember one scene and not only do I remember this scene, but I say this line all the time and the actor in it is Ed McMahon. And I don't know if I knew exactly who Ed McMahon was at the time, but it's so weird now that I think about that and I think about Larry Sanders and I think about stuff that Ed McMahon had a... a, a role he played the villain the villainous boss in fun with dick and jane but he had this one line that i probably if you went through the archives of this podcast have probably said multiple times this business stinks you know that well it stinks it used to be the most exciting business in the world now it stinks on ice it's been a rough year it stinks I guess it does stink. It stinks on ice. All right, on ice. (laughs) It stinks on ice. I've been saying that for years since I saw it in 1977. I'm pretty sure I went home that day, had a drink with ice, and I said, you know, Rhoda, this stinks. It stinks on ice. I say that all the time. From the first day I saw that movie in 1977. When I think about my daily routine and all the things I say from 1977, I probably say that one and uh, from Star Wars, I always say when they're talking about after they blow up the Death Star and R2, you know, gets injured. He bring, Luke brings him back to the planet and he's all messed up and C-3PO's worried and uh, he goes, oh no, R2. And um, Mark Hamill just goes, he'll be all right. Come on, guys, let's party. And he just always goes, he'll be all right. I always say that line. He'll be all right. Because it was such a dick move. He'll be fine, don't worry about it. I mean, it's funny because it's just, it is just a computer or whatever, a droid. But he was just so lackadaisical about it. R2-D2 is a mess. He's all shot up bad. He'll be all right. I, I don't know why. So those two things I've said my entire life, all from 1977. And there's probably more. 
I'm just not thinking of it this day. But now, um, I'm pretty sure my new routine, uh, which I'm going to say to any guy I meet that has a boy for a son, hey, your son looks like a fag to me. You better get married again because he's going to wind up with somebody's cock in his mouth before you can say Jack Robinson. That's going to be my new line from Slapshot that I'm going to say from now on. I hope everybody's okay with that. A couple more things before we go. Um, In the paper today was a story about steak. This guy, Steve Cusio, was writing about the wolf gangs that I go to on 54th Street all the time with my friends Lee and Laura. And it was so interesting. And he's talking about how there's a steak issue, you know, steak, the meat, in New York City when people ask for medium rare, because I've been through this, they get undercooked rare because we found that out. Now, everybody wants their steak medium rare usually when you go to a steakhouse. Obviously, if you go to a steakhouse, you want it medium rare. I remember, remember I told you we went with a tell once. He wanted it well done. I'm like, Dave, get out of here. They're gonna, you're embarrassing us. You always want your steak medium rare. But we found, after going to Wolfgang's three or four times a year, that the medium rare was too rare. So it's interesting. This guy picked up on it too. And that's the way they're all cooking steaks at there and Del Frisco's and a bunch of other places. So now we started ordering our steaks medium, which have come out perfect. But they also apparently have a, people are ordering them uh, medium rare plus. But the places are saying they'd prefer to cook their steaks medium or, or more rare if you ask for medium rare because if you do it too well, you can't take it back. But you can put it back on the grill again and, you know, move up the temperature. But we've noticed that medium, even though it doesn't sound good, because medium rare sounds delicious, is a better uh, cook for us because the medium rare was just too rare. Medium rare was rare. And apparently it's happening in all of our steakhouses. It wasn't just this Wolfgang, but it's funny that he picked the exact one we had a problem with. But we were able to fix it. But it's hard to remember each time you go. Now we always remember. And now we'll never forget. But it was just kind of interesting that it wasn't just me. You know, because obviously I think I'm crazy. Also, uh, I saw a story about, do you remember this, uh, the helicopter that crashed right in front of my apartment? I watched it crash right into the East River. Uh, I think when I was doing the podcast, maybe. Or maybe it was just a Sunday and I heard all the stuff going. And they crashed and they, 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 they were killed because their belts didn't work or whatever. This company. So they have a thing in the paper a couple of weeks ago that says, oh my God, this helicopter company is doing it again and their doors are still open. So they're complaining that the doors are still open because they, I guess the government was saying, like, no, you got to shut the doors. But I don't think anybody said that. But this thing where, like, look, it's without the doors. This is the company that killed five tourists. But the fact of the matter is, you know, I still want the doors open. If I feel like taking the risk, if I know what happened to those people and I still want to take a chance thinking that can't happen again, and I think they should offer the doors open. You know what you're getting into. They even say when you book it, the ride says doors off flight in the top left-hand cor- corner. You check it off. You want the doors open? Because that's what we'll do. We'll leave the doors open. You know, So you can kind of dangle out there. It's kind of fun. I'm glad they didn't take it away. I'm glad that company's standing up that there's no regulation. If you want your doors open, that's what you want to do. You take the risk. That's your issue. 
You know, if it's not a commercial flight going somewhere and it's just a seasiding thing and you have the choice of a seaside, a sea, a sightseeing thing of doors open or doors closed, you should have the option, even if the people died. But remember, when you get into a helicopter, a helicopter is weird. It's not like a plane. A helicopter is just propellers. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, it, you know, if those propellers, if, the, if whatever dies, you know, you're doomed. It's not like a plane where maybe you have a chance to kind of glide it. A helicopter, it's one and done. And you take a chance every time. What are you going to do? You hope for the best. And, uh, and those people probably could have uh, made it because that guy was a pretty good pilot, but they couldn't cut off their uh, things if you read about this. Anyway, uh, let's just uh, talk about Bill Cosby for a second because that's uh, heating up again. Very, very exciting. Uh, his uh, you know, court case is taken up again. Now, this girl, Heidi Thomas... Then a 24-year-old struggling actress described an encounter that seemed to start out innocently enough with a sip of wine at a private ranch in Reno, Nevada for what was supposed to be acting lessons with the married star. Now, what is she doing at a private ranch for acting lessons? I'm doing quotes. When was Bill Cosby an acting teacher with a married man? What's she doing at a private ranch having wine? For acting lessons. Why are, you ta- why are you having wine when you're doing acting lessons? So, you know, what do you, you think is going to happen here? But, of course, hey, hey, now listen, I know both sides. I would not think Bill Cosby was going to rape me. I would not think America's dad was going to rape me. So, yes. But what are you doing at a private ranch? What do you, you know, don't do that with anybody, especially a married man. It's kind of on you. Maybe. Anyway, he... um Apparently, he had he would have these scripts that he would do because uh, let's see he uh, what happened is uh, the witness said she said she awoke on the bed she took a sip of the wine obviously it was drugged she woke on the bed fully clothed while Cosby was naked I remember the voice saying he always referred to himself in the third person always Mr C and your friend Mr C wants to come again I can't, can you even imagine I'd be terrified. The woman said she remembered only pieces of what happened that night over the next few days. That's the way it happens. Uh, she said she recalled Corby forcing himself into her mouth and her later slamming the door on him only to open it again and apologize. Can you imagine? She told herself she must have done something to lead on America's dad, perhaps coming off as someone who would sleep her way to the top, she told jurors. That makes a lot of sense. I'm sure she felt that way because um, it's so fucked up. It is fucked up. But, I mean, again, you can't take both sides when it comes to drugging and him raping her. No. But why would she go? The guy's married. Why wouldn't he say she obviously wants? Why why is she going to a ranch alone with this married guy to study acting? You can't do that, you know, in the city or in L.A., somewhere at at his class since he's a teacher. But I'm not blaming her because he raped her, which is completely unacceptable. So uh, this is the best. When Thomas was, uh, this is the woman, was cross-examined by his lawyer, uh, Cosby, uh, he, he bizarrely, when she uttered the phrase, your friend is going, that he said, your friend is, is going to come again, which is what he said, he said he, um, he appeared to nod as the formal, as, as this, 
you know, your model uh, said that as if he was like, all right, I always used to say I'm going to come again. Oh, it's Larry. I forgot about that. I forgot that's what I used to do. I used to drug women and then say, Mr. C's going to come again. So that's so funny that he's like nodding in approval. All right. I used to. All right. And then there was another girl who claims Cosby drugged and assaulted her in an L.A. hotel bungalow. See what I'm saying? I mean, why are they going to these places? Uh, that the comedian produced a script for her to read that was similar to Thomas. He always had a script. Both involved a drunk female character. And, of course, the scene ended with Cosby forcibly kissing her. Now, this is brilliant. Now, I've written a script uh, that I would like to quote from today that possible I might use um, at some point, but I figure maybe this is some of the script that Cosby used. But I might do this for an audition with a girl. Uh, I can't decide. So these characters are Morty and June. Um, I made them up. And Morty will be Bill Cosby. This is me giving a script. Now, I'd like... You know, take a look at the script. I think you're going to like it. We can practice your acting. Now, uh, I'll start. Hello, June. I see you're back from modeling school. That's right. And I'm a little tipsy, so I don't know how that could happen. Well, being tipsy is okay, but don't do anything foolish you'll regret later. No, I wouldn't dare, even though I'm tremendously attracted to you. What? Oh, no, no, no. This happens a lot. Women can't contain themselves around me. It's just that... Your cock is so awesome when it's in my mouth, I can't resist it. Hey now, June, you and I both know that's never happened before, and I don't think we should talk about it again. Now, why don't you sleep off whatever you've had to drink, and I'll rape you later. What? What? I'm sorry, sweetie, that's not your line. What kind of script is this? Wait, let me see your copy. Oh, oh, I see. It's supposed to say, I'll tape you later, not rape you later. You're modeling. You know, you want me to tape you walking with a book on your head. Oh, right. That makes sense. Phew. Why'd you just say phew? No, I said poo. I have to poo. Then I'll rape you later. It's tape. You keep saying rape. I do. Well, Rudy helped me write the script, so it's all messed up. You know what I'm saying? It's like a pudding pop. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's an example, I think, you know, of some of the scripts he would give to the girls. That's what I would give a girl if I was trying to rape her, I guess. You know, why not put it out there? I'm going to rape you. I mean, that's what it kind of seems like. You know, come over to my uh, bungalow or my private resort, and I'm not, I'm not going to rape you, so don't worry about that. Why would you even say that? I wouldn't. I'm just saying, come over to my house and we'll practice your acting. Even though we don't know each other very well and I'm married. Come to my hotel room by yourself. You can't rape somebody, but you shouldn't be going to a married man's hotel room. It's the Louis Zeke thing all over again. Except the Louis is, come upstairs, I'm going to masturbate in front of you and just watch me. What? Yeah, you heard me. I'm going to masturbate in front of you, come and watch me. All right. Now we're angry. I can't believe you actually did it. But I said I was going to... What? Well, you know, these things got to happen every few years or so. Cleans out the old blood. You know what I'm saying. Last one was 10 years ago. I'm doing Clemenza lines now. As Bill Cosby. Hey, check this out. I don't know. For some reason, I was on a um, a kick. Uh, for, I, I don't know why. I guess I must have heard it somewhere. And I guess because when, uh, you know, Jono was on, I was just thinking, I never liked Don't You Forget About Me. 
Um, I guess because it was overplayed, you know, I'm talking about the Breakfast Club song. But for some reason, I'm really into it lately. And I, I, I just sat, I was a little drunk like on Friday night. And I just came home and I put, I put the video on. I just watched it and just kind of enjoyed it. I don't know why. It's such a cool song in many ways when you break it down. Uh, very, you know, when you watch the video, the guy's wearing, you know, oh, an outfit you can only wear in the 80s, a very large coat like David Byrne used to wear. The guy looks pretty cool, and videos, I don't know, it worked for me this one night. I was just uh, really enjoying it. Getting in, I was thinking about Simple Minds. I'm like, what happened to those guys? You know, they had this amazing song. Maybe they had one song after, and then I was like kind of reading up on them a little bit. They were around such a long time that I think they just broke up after this because they were like, I think they were surprised that they actually made it. This song was so popular. It's overplayed. And of course, The Breakfast Club was just, you know, this was the, I don't even think it was on an album that they made. They didn't write it. Somebody else did. He gave it to Billy Idol first and then uh, they decided to go for it. But the best part about this song, I was looking it up, is that these guys still play live, you know, because they... If you look it up, they even have the, the anthem years. Because it's definitely an anthem, you know, when, when you get a, like arena rock kind of stuff. Um, so it's so funny. And I've always said, I wish, I wish I had written a really great song in the 80s and then you could perform. Because having that song in your back pocket, which makes people happy, which you remember stuff, is just the best stuff. And, and, and when you're getting to your song, you really want to play it up. And a lot of people don't do that. You know, like you really want to, you know, when you when you have your encore or whatever. Remember, I was talking about Tom Petty and Hall and Oates when we went last year, and I'm like, they're not they're not bringing what I need when you have your signature song. But these guys, they got it completely right. They have a whole long setup, you know, like almost like a premiere, like a, like a, like 20th Century Fox da 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 da. da. Da 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 before they do the song, which I'm sure is the encore live. I don't know. I'm excited to hear what it is. Oh, shit. Oh, no way. Oh, yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, he went there. 
impressive stuff well anyway that's our show for today I hope you enjoyed it I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you and we leave you today with uh, simple minds and don't you forget about me because I Dave Juskow won't forget about you on the Nightfly the podcast that everyone loves of all ages especially ones that were around in 1977 Anyway, that is the show, and, uh, well, of course I'll be back next week. I don't know what's going to happen or where we are or what we're doing, but I know it'll be another classic evening together. Good night, everybody, and I'll see you next time on The Night Fly. And remember, don't you forget about me. Good night, everybody. Don't